Hey, people out there in the podcast world, welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. I'm Ryan Parker. A couple dudes with PhDs in theology who talk about television. We want to... doing now is we're kind of folding this into some work at Pop Theology. And uh, if you want to go over there, uh, like our Facebook page on... Uh, it's at Pop Theology. You can keep up with these podcasts. They'll come right to you. Yeah, I would encourage everybody that um, we've actually shut down the uh, Killer Serials Facebook page for all four of you who had liked it because it's just going to live on the Pop Theology Facebook page. We'll still have our Twitter handle where we'll be announcing uh, that's Killer Serials 1. So definitely follow that on Twitter and follow Ryan and, and me on Twitter. And then for sure check out the new website, poptheology.com, because it's really... Ryan, you've done a great job at setting it up. There's some great contributions. There's like, you know, everything from you have a post today um, that's about this show that we're going to talk about, The Handmaid's Tale and American Gods. And Richard Lindsay has a post on going to the, um, sci- the, the March for Science last Saturday. We try so, to cover it all, Tony. Yeah, I mean, it's really great. Like, how wide is pop theology? Really wide. And we're trying to go, you know, and... and you and I try to do justice to one show at a time. And it feels like at the moment, there are about three shows yeah. that really are front runners for killer serials. You have the handmaid's tale, you have American gods, which is the two shows I put in conversation today. And then you have the leftovers on um, HBO, which, and it's premiere two weeks ago, the opening five minutes was probably some of the most profound religious and spiritual TV storytelling I've ever seen. And, and let's just, you know, let's we're just not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. Let's so just make we might note, blog about it, but yeah, let's just make note of those three networks, Hulu, Stars, and HBO. You don't yeah. see NBC, CBS, ABC no. in there. Never. You don't even see Fox. Like, no, it, I don't know. Let's take a bet. Will we ever have a killer serial from a major network? I cannot imagine. They are simply not that creative. You know what would have been a, good, a killer serial? NBC's The Good Place. Never even heard of it. Really? Wow. You've got to watch that with Courtney. There's so many things You'll you say it. that to me. I'm barely keeping up with what we have to watch for this podcast. <laughs> well, let's talk about this show. This is such an interesting show. What are show. we watching? The let's Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. Which is on Hulu. It's... Uh, on the very, the very day we drop this podcast, they are dropping their first three. This is an interesting, I mean, we might just say the methodology here. They're dropping three episodes, and then they're dropping one a week, which is not unlike what they did with The Path. I think they dropped two, and then they dropped one a week after that. So they're trying to get you hooked with a little bit of binge watching, and then get you to come back every Wednesday for a new episode. Which And would you say that this show would hook you? Holy crap. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean... What did you call it on your post? You didn't call it a binge watch. Endurance television. Endurance television. Because, yeah. It's hard. It's not easy to watch. I was texting you during it, and, you know, some expletives deleted were among my my reactions to the show. You know, I I shared the, you know, I shared the access to those episodes with Richard, who, as you mentioned, writes for Pop Theology. And he said, I honestly don't know that I can watch the rest of it. Yeah, I don't think like um, 
my dear I wife, think Courtney, should, who's sitting but... next to me here and does often when we record this podcast, I don't think Courtney would want to watch it. It's, it's yeah, really, Amy wouldn't. No, my wife would not watch either. it. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really disturbing, especially as a woman, because probably, especially right That's now, and this is what yep. I want you to talk about when it was written. Here's what's interesting. It was written, you said, in 1985, the novel by Canadian novelist Margaret Atwood, and it had particular resonance then with the rise of the religious right and some of these very patriarchal figures like Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, Ralph That's Reed, yep. people like that. And now here we are in another era. And this is, I'm, I, can, I can almost verbatim quote what Courtney would say after watching those first three episodes, especially the third episode, which reveals the backstory of how they got to where they are, is, right. she'd say, too close to home. You know, too, too, too real, too real. I want to, if I'm going to watch fiction, I want something that's like Kimmy Schmidt, where, you a know. A bit more escapist. Which is a little bit more escapist or something like that. Or entertaining. Yeah. This yeah. is not escapism, man. This is dystopian, but it's not dystopian in like a YA novel dystopian. This is di- very adult dystopian. It feels very near to hand, so very close to home. And of course, and, what, and, and one of the things that I don't want to do in this podcast, which is going to be tempting, is to bag, to b- repeatedly bag on Trump's administration because this is a global problem. Yeah. Right. And there are elements to the first moments in the first three episodes where we see real world parallels around the world, not just in America. So while there are some disturbing similarities, and I think, again, you see that in the third episode. And again, as a side note here, we're assuming that everybody has watched before they listen yeah. and is, are familiar with the story. So we're not going to go too much into synopsis here. But in the third episode, there are real similarities um, to the Trump administration with the rapid dismantling of government, right? Well, here, or at least yeah. attempts to do so. I mean, I, I, here's the thing that I think hits home, especially for guys like you and me, who are still at least negligibly confessing Christians is that unlike a lot of other dystopian uh, environments in, in novels that we watch or novels we read or, or shows and movies we watch, this one is a Christian dystopian future. So, I'm glad you brought that up. So Christianity provides the ideological cover for what the, pow- the forces of power do. So d- just as a quick... We'll do a quick synopsis. Sure. There's been some kind of war, and all that's left is of the United States is the the so, there's been some kind of attack on Washington D.C. The that the country was, is now known as the Republic of Gilead. There's a there's been a government crackdown, taking away civil liberties, as a result, and and how it was pitched to the public was because to fight terrorism. Okay, now there's the 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 capital of the United States is in Alaska, and we hear and the flag only has two stars. So it must assumption be assumption being Hawaii, Hawaii and Alaska are yeah. the last two United States. That the continental United States is basically under this Republic of Gilead, but there are still ongoing battles, like in Atlanta. There's there's mention of it battle in Atlanta or a battle in San Florida. Francisco, and but the show's set in Chicago, Rebels. right? 
No, it's set in at least the book was set in the Northeast, in oh, New England. Because they mention Manhattan and New York. Yeah, but there and there and there are also colonies. There's this implication that there are places in the landscape which are polluted, not safe, and they call the colonies. Along with part of what seems to have um, uh, catalyzed the this revolution and government crackdown is that there's a massive epidemic of infertility among women, which is blamed on pollution, the morning after pill, sexual pill, promiscuity, sexual promiscuity, etc. So that, you know, they, of course, it's, it's not, a curse, but maybe diet Coke, maybe, you know, like, because all of that has been purified. I mean, what these, so, so Basically, it's, Purit- it's Puritanism. They, the women dress like Puritans, like the Puritan women. I mean, there's a bit of a Hester Prynne, Scarlet, every, le- yeah. Scarlet yeah. Letter. Even the, women, the, even the wives are dressed very conservatively. And, the women, and there are three levels of women. The wives, most of whom or all of whom, are, it seems, are infertile. The handmaids, who are the fertile ones but are not married to the men. And then the Marthas, who are kitchen help, and then and I did, I did a little bit of research. There are about six classifications of okay. women in her book, but just for, as far so as far we've got, so far so the we're seeing show. these three yeah. main, yeah. And so far, we've seen two different types of men. There are the commanders who are married and trying to have children with their handmaids, and then there are other like this guy who's the gardener, or a lot of security guys with automatic weapons and things like this. They've kind of yet to elevate themselves or be elevated to a place where you can, because it sounds like relationships and marriages are also controlled by these people in power, right? So for sure, one of the most arresting scenes is when um, the, uh, the protagonist of the show, who's a handmaid. Her name is Offred. Offred is taken to bed by her commander. But she is laying on the lap of the wife, of the commander. Let me tell you wife. something. I did not see, I, did, I have not read the book. I did not see that coming. But what's overdubbed is that, I mean, there's a ceremony beforehand and it's basically they're trying to do it just like pregnant pause in the Bible. Yeah. And here's the thing I want. What story do they read? Here's the thing. Well, they're talking about Rachel and Leah. And there, of course, there's also overtones of um, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Sarah Hagar, the birth of Ishmael, then the birth of um, Isaac. Here's, the, here's, here's just the one thing I want to point out. We read those Old Testament stories and we kind of gloss them over. Oh, it was a different time, you know, like. I probably, I mean, yeah, Sarah's feelings were a little hurt when Abraham went into Hagar's tent and did it with his uh, handmaid instead of with his wife. But, you know, I mean, she was infertile, like, right? It, you, she I wanted mean, children. Th- this, is, this is how we read. This is how we, and we were like, well, of course, Abraham had to have children back in the patriarchal era, you know. Somebody's got to work the farm. But then you, you're like, you rip that way of being out of its Old Testament context and put it into th- this day and age, 
and you're like, that is messed up. That is, I mean, it's such a creepy, creepy scene. And if people want to even get a picture of it, it's like I made that, the still photo of Offred looking up at the camera, which I think it's filmed beautifully and terrifyingly. Yeah. yeah. And the commander like won't look at her and the wife is crying while she's holding, like she's basically holding the woman as her husband's having sex with her. Yeah. And I've used that as the banner image, her face, yeah. Elizabeth Moss's face. It's great. A- a- on Twitter is our, is our banner image now. It, it's, it's just haunting. So I love dystopian fiction and post-apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic literature. Rarely have I seen, uh, and let's, again, let's just talk about the series here, uh, a, a setting that so effectively marries Christianity and politics as this. Yeah. And the danger inherent in doing that, right? Because what else plays over the sex scene is onward Christian soldiers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's chilling. And then you have, but but the ants, but the other the other the other uh, woman classification of woman that we didn't talk about is are the ants, who are the the women who yeah instruct the They're hand the enforcers ma- yeah, and we have Aunt Lydia, who uses in her instruction religion, right? No uses Christianity, but and then- one of the things that they love to say to make the handmaids. And I love this, and and very early in the first episode, uh, to put these women in line, right? They say the meek, uh, blessed are the meek, right? Yeah. And then Alfred mumbles, "You forgot to say that the meek also inherit the earth." <laughs> yeah, basically, and they uh, just well, so blatantly and, cut out. Yeah, uh, well, of course, scripture. Yeah, Lydia, Lydia ends up tasing uh, Alfred. For continuing the Sermon on the Mount Bible verse, <laughs> like, how dare you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then and and beats her over the and beats her in the face with the butt end of the taser, and then finds out she's pregnant, or we think she is. It turns out she's not. Yeah, in episode two. Um, and you just think this is. I mean, it is so messed up. But then there's this. Just when you are. I really like that j- just when you're feeling like you want to dehumanize everybody in this except for Offred, the commander invites Offred up to his hidden you know, man cave and where, where even his wife is not allowed to go and plays Scrabble with her for hours. Yeah. Because obviously he's not successful having sex with a woman he has no relationship with. He's trying to build some kind of rapport with his handmaid because he's got to perform this act of animal husbandry on her and try to impregnate her. It's messed up. So tell me, Can, you, no, you, had some, you had some thoughts about the, like, the budding resistance and that, how well, that, that little thread yeah, that's in there. There's a couple of things to, to get to. In three episodes is kind of overwhelming, and there, I had about nine or ten, I think, real big themes that I thought were worth talking about, and we've touched on a lot of those already especially the marriage of religion and politics and just the tone, the way it kind of provides the framework for this new society. One of the things I think the show so far does very well is, you know, after the Trump election, a lot of people said, you have to wake up every day and tell yourselves this is not normal, right? This is not the way things should be. Right. 
And there's a great line in the first episode where Aunt Lydia is trying to instruct these women, and she tells them this will become ordinary. Yeah. And I like this this notion of how easily we can accept change, right? Because it, it made me think about uh, there's a great book called in the called in the Garden of Beasts mm-hmm. uh, about Germany at the time of the rise of the Nazi party. And it's told through the eyes of the American diplomat and his daughter. And every time you turn the page, you're like, why is nobody saying anything or doing anything more? And you know, you're, you're reading this with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. And at the time you see how easily people could have just said, well, this is our new normal, right? This is ordinary. Well, and, and the gardener says to her, the, the, young, the young man who's a gardener, and we see right at the end of season three, it looks like you know, there's a little something-something brewing between the two of them. But he says, as he's in, in season three, as he's episode pulling... Episode three. Episode three, sorry. Episode three, pu- pulling up in the van with her, and there's somebody there to question her. He says, don't try to resist. Like, Just give them what they want. And, and no matter what you say, it's all going to end up the same. It doesn't matter what you do. It's yeah. all going to end up the same. In other words, your friend who's a lesbian is, you know, they don't know this, but whatever they're there to question her about, it doesn't really matter how she answers. Yeah. So there are people in the story who aren't willing to accept this as a new normal and to yeah. say that this is ordinary. And I think Offred is one of those, obviously, and, and get the sense that that's going to be a bigger storyline moving forward. But I see you talk about resistance to like totalitarian regimes, there are various levels of that, right? You can go out guns blazing, and obviously you can be killed. Yeah. You can try to fight back or to try to throw their teaching back in their face like Alfred does with Aunt Lydia and she gets beaten, right? But I thought there was a beautiful moment, and you texted me about this yesterday, when in the second episode, one of the handmaids is pregnant. Yeah. And while they're waiting and they're about to leave, they offer the host offers offered a cookie. Yeah. And it's so de- demeaning and demoralizing. And what's the right response, you know? It, but she takes the cookie, right? But she, she only And when she takes the, it, and when she takes she, the cookie, you think she's like, "Oh my gosh, she gets to taste sugar for the first time in years or whatever." Yeah. And so she takes this and she begins to eat it. And you know it's delicious, right? Yeah. But she walks away and she goes to the bathroom and she spits out the half-eaten part and leaves the other half on the sink. Yeah. Which, to me, you know, the host is never going to know, right? Because the maid's got to clean it up. But to me, that's an act of rebellion. And it's what she can do in that moment. And does it give her a boost? Does it give her confidence? Does it make something more tolerable in that moment? Maybe. It's going to have to build to something more substantial. I mean, what's interesting is that when when, when her friend, with whom she walks every day, tries to recruit her into the resistance, she says, Offred says, I'm not that kind of person. I don't, you know, like, I don't resist. That's not my... That's not my deal. And yet you know she wants to see her daughter again. So, like, that's huge for her. Yeah. And she's still grieving the death of her husband, whom she loved. I, there, there is a little... I, I want to talk about another scene that I found compelling. 
it's it's in episode three during the flashback when she's when she's with her friend and their her friend who's a lesbian and they're talking about the crackdown which is just happening and she they they kind of make fun of her husband at the time her husband we know from episode one is murdered by the um, by the forces who were cracking down but they're kind of making fun of him for being at all paternal toward like oh I'm gonna take care because they trans they they close all women's bank accounts and transfer the money into the men's bank accounts yeah they can no longer work they can't own property and so he's like oh I'll take care of her and then that really pisses them both both the women off and and I mean there is something also that resonates with our culture right now of the struggle to figure out now that gender roles are rapidly transforming you know like before our eyes gender roles are transforming in a very rapid way and a lot of people are struggling with those changes you know like he's obviously a really good guy he just said something a little bit traditional like I'll patriarchal take yeah patriarch a little traditionally patriarchal and like hey I'll take care of you and and he her friend just jumps down his throat you know, like, um, you're the problem. Like, you're the reason yeah. they're being cracking down on us now. And it's a little bit, there's some moral ambiguity there because you're like, yeah, you can see her point that it is kind of, um, the way he says it is paternalistic. But on the other hand, like, he's a good guy. He's on the, he's like, he's on the right team, you know? And still she jumps down his throat, even though he's on the right team. I've, felt like boy i i see that that very kind of thing happen a lot even like in social media now you know people yeah her her friend is uh, offred's friend in that in that time in that flashback is moira and she you know i i don't want to sound patriarchal here or offensive but when things go that way that fast we all need all the help we can get yeah you know and and you know she has to leave that apartment, Moira has to leave. Is she going to leave by herself? I doubt it. You right, know? and she doesn't. She ends up... <laughs> Who is your ally, yeah. right? And that's yeah. where uh, somebody reached out to me the other day and just said something about allies, right? LGBTQ yeah. and allies. And, you know, we have we all need, in situations like that, we all need every relationship we can get, you know, that we can yeah. have. Uh, you touch on something a little bit here about definitions and gender roles, and I think another thing that this show... One of the things I love about dystopian fiction is that it is quite often prophetic. And yes. by that, we mean the term like using prophecy as speaking truth to power, right? Which is a, a biblical theme and a biblical motif. But I also think there's prophecy in this idea of, of foretelling something. Okay. Of, of an impending, maybe not even doom always, but impending changes that if you go this way, this will happen, right? And history has shown us that. So it's not even predicting the future. It's just looking at where we've come from and where we're going. And there are two ways, I think there are two ways that The Handmaid's Tale has captured tendencies in times like these or actions that that lead to these dystopias. And the first is has to do with, with corralling intellect and religion. And the second is with language. I found it interesting that you know, one of the offhand comments that one of the handmaids make is that they have sent all the intellectuals, the college professors, to the colonies. Yeah. 
And another thing that we see in the second episode, I believe, is the destruction of some cathedrals, some churches in the neighborhood. Catholic. I think I think Catholic. I think the nod yeah. is that this is a puritanical movement yes. and it's the Catholic churches are being destroyed. That's right. So it's it is a complete obliteration of anything that could be a quote unquote enemy, right? Yeah. Or yeah. an alternate way of being in the world. Yeah. And you saw that, you see that in all the genocides and all the great acts of terror throughout history. I mean, I was thinking about the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, right, of doctors and intellectuals just being murdered, right? Not even, or they were sent to like labor camps. Uh-huh. And what type of society that creates? I think, you know, recently, just as, as recent as last weekend, we live in a world where people have, feel like they have to march for science. Yeah, right, right. Fifteen years ago, could you have imagined? What if somebody told you that fifteen years ago? I would. You're crazy. Yeah. Right. But here we are. Yeah, and you re- you think, really would have thought that the religious fundamentalism. I mean, th- th- there, there's a bigger narrative here that every sociologist in the middle of the 20th century predicted that religion, and particularly religious fundamentalism, was going away, and no. like liberalism was rising with enlightenment and the exact opposite thing happened at the end of the 20th and beginning of 21st centuries. And another, another element to all of this is the role of language and how we talk about reality, right? And identity. And you talk about uh, changing gender roles and we talk about sexuality and no longer, you can't even in the world, in the Republic of Gilead, you can no longer use the word gay. You are a That's gender right. traitor. That's right. What do yeah. you do to gay people? Well, you, at, at worst, you outlaw them. Uh, and, you know, middling mistreatment, you tolerate them, right? Or you fight for their rights and you're an ally. What do you do to a traitor? Kill yeah, them. You kill them. That's all you do with a traitor is you kill them. Except, except in the world of The Handmaid's Tale, where if you're a traitor who is fertile, fertile, yep, you always just exceptions, right? Undergo genital mutilation. Which, by the way, to watch that, it just, it just um, was in the newspaper here in the, in Minneapolis last week that two girls from uh, an ethnic community here in the Twin Cities were taken by their parents to Detroit where they underwent female genital mutilation. And now that's, of course, against the law in Minnesota and Michigan. And so the doctor is being, um, you know, charged with that. What about the parents? And the parents are being, I don't know, I've only heard about that. And the doctor is saying she didn't do it. She just provided the the place to do it and the parents did it. But I'm just saying, like, it's 2017 in the most advanced country in the world and girls are undergoing female genital mutilation so you might even you just wonder even when margaret atwood wrote this novel in 1985 you think well surely you know surely 30 years from now there's that won't still be happening and sure enough i mean it happened last it happened last week you know and you know i thought if anybody is listening that hasn't watched it you know the way in which that scene was handled i thought was quite brilliant because it left everything to the imagination, and there wasn't even a specific reference to the event that had taken place, and I thought that just made it all the more gut-wrenching and frightening. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you know, not that they could have or would have gone any other way. I just wanted to comment on that as as I thought a really uh, well executed scene. Well, there's a lot. It's it's a great uh, it's a great show, and you know I think I'm I'm looking forward to as as painful as it is to watch. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to just bring up so many things for us to talk about. And I mean, it, as I've already mentioned, it, it has connections to the Old Testament. It has connections to like Puritan colonial New England. Yeah. It, it has connections to Nazi Germany, you know, yep. and, and whether people stand up uh, against atrocities. Um, and it has connections to what's happening right before our eyes. It's, it's and it has, it's also, what it, you mentioned the interrogator who shows up. It's also revealing the banality of evil. What a nerd. How, what a, how do, that guy sounds like the biggest dweeb you've a, ever heard yeah. when he's interrogating her. He's not this force of evil, right? No. He's just, he is a, uh, he's a bureaucrat. Yeah, and you think he's of doing course, his job. It, he can't even he can't even mistreat Alfred. He's got to rely on Aunt Lydia to set her straight. No, there's a bit of a bait and switch too, because you think that he's there to because she talked about the resistance with her friend, but it turns out it's just trying to see if her friend ever made a pass at her. Yeah, you know, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Well, all right, people. Thanks so much for listening to Killer Serials, and uh, we'll be back next week with episode four. Episode four of. The Handmaid's Tale. If Tony can stomach it. Just a great show. So be sure, to, be sure to watch and listen in. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. I was asleep before. That's how we let it happen. When they slaughtered Congress, we didn't wake up. When they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution, we didn't wake up then either. Now I'm awake. My name is Alfred. I had another name. Ladies... I have to let you go. It's the law now. They needed to do it this way. All the bank accounts and the jobs all at the same time. You imagine the airports otherwise? You girls will serve the leaders and their barren wives. You will bear children for them. an eye in your house. We'll send you to the colonies. You'll be cleaning up toxic waste and then you'll die. Tonight is a celebration of Gilead and of what we have achieved. We only wanted to make the world better. Better? Better never means better for everyone. I want to keep on living for her. Remember your scripture. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who suffer for the cause of righteousness. Righteousness.